One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, what a way to wrap up the week with one of my, also I'm going to say, and I think I've been fairly vocal about this, one of my favorite guys in media, Matt Welch. It's like all you could say today. To oh, tell us. <laughs> maybe, maybe look uncool. He's here. Okay? <laughs> I was I was take it or leave it, Matt. I could care less. He was he, Matt Welch, you know him with, he's the editor of Large Reason Magazine. You know him from the Fifth Column podcast, as well as the Reason Roundtable. Fifth Column podcast today. Matt, I, what a masterpiece that was. What a great coverage of the uh, incredible, extraordinary chaos going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for the sweet words. It's very nice of you. So, Matt, I'm looking at just the personalities we have right now in Congress with between Matt Gates and... Um, Swalwell on the other side, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's now moderated somehow, and it's yeah. it's not like like it's two years from January six, and we don't quite have the people with the antlers in the the Capitol, <laughs> but we're edging in that direction. I mean, how bad off are, are we with these people? You know, I I think that there is something to be said about the level of the the antlerification of <laughs> of Congress. Uh, coinciding with the uh, evaporation of power of individual Congress people, which is uh, something that uh, Justin Amash, who we talked to on Fifth Column, um, former five-turn congressman from Michigan, and he's out there, he's uh, throwing his hat in the ring to be speaker, <laughs> and he's going to get zero votes, but he really wants to do it as an outside libertarian who still has a couple of friends among the, uh, the GOP holdouts. But it's a critique that he's had uh, for, you know, for the duration of his career, is that Congress doesn't do anything. I, mean, I know we all say oh, mm -hmm. Congress doesn't do anything, but mm -hmm. like literally individual Congress people, they haven't been able to raise an amendment, just an open amendment that hasn't been pre-vetted by the Speaker of the House on the floor of Congress in six and a half, seven years, something like that, beginning with Paul Ryan through Nancy Pelosi. Um, presumably uh, that might get changed maybe with whoever ends up winning the speaker contest uh, on what's it going to be December 21st, 2023 <laughs> or 24 or something. It'll be right before they have to pass the end of the year cromnibus nine trillion right. page, nine trillion dollar bill. Um, they'll finally elect a speaker. But um, when you don't have power, when you can't introduce a bill, 
you're not legislating. Um, the, you're basically left with, okay, you can hold some oversight hearings. Uh, and uh, other than that, you can go on Fox and you can go right. on OAN and you can go on whatever or MSNBC. There's not a lot to do. So you're going to get the antler people. You're going to get Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think is the third biggest fundraiser uh in the in the house like she's a force to be reckoned in like with. a you totally have... safe district too it's not like it's not like she's gonna have a serious democrat challenger there yeah and and so i mean in in a party which uh is prone both to like ideological schisms over real questions now uh, those could be ideological questions or they could be process questions in this case and they're also have a nihilist streak um, and have had one for quite some time. But the Trump era um, probably personifies that more than anything else. People who just want to burn stuff down. Um, that's not a recipe for a whole lot of governance with a very slim majority. So I think it's going to be pretty clown carish here, not just for over the next hour and day and week and whatever, but for the majority of this time, I, I suspect in their hearts of hearts, um, there are quite a few Republicans who wouldn't mind uh, somehow still being in the minority because it's really easy, a lot easier uh, when you just uh, can oppose uh, things rather than have some kind of responsibility for governance. So we're going to see if there are anybody who can figure out the responsible mechanics of governance. Uh, I don't have my fingers crossed. I mean, so and I tend to be skeptical of the argument that like it's so dangerous that we don't have a speaker of the house right now. Like I think we'll survive until they figure this out. But but I do think that like this looks really bad to normal people. I kind of thrive on the chaos because I enjoy it and I like the news cycle. But like my normal friends are like, why can't the Republicans get it together? What is wrong with them? Why are they doing this? What is even going on? And like, I mean, like how, how what is the GOP like? What does this mean for them right now? I'm, I think it's a it it personifies why they had uh they managed to take a situation that was so structurally favorable to them. A midterm election, first term, unpopular president with a ceiling on his popularity uh, at a time when inflation was high. Uh, we've had you know bad indications on all kinds of societal things going back pre-COVID. Um, but there's this sort of sense of upset people, uh, men in particular, but a lot of people just of working age are not working. So our, our country is weird. It's in a weird place. Mm -hmm. And so Republicans, by all lights, should have retaken the Senate, um, should have gotten a lot bigger of a majority in the House. But they didn't uh, because they're Republicans right now. And Republicans right now uh, cannot uh, stop themselves from pulling a Dick Cheney and just shooting themselves in the face. Um, part of it is over stuff where they genuinely disagree with one another. Part of it's temperamental. Um, you know, part of it is just the pure Trumpness of the party, which is on the wane, obviously, right now. In fact, this week really underscores that because, you know, Trump's out there saying uh, <laughs> elect McCarthy and yeah. the uh, the poor New York Times is trying and other people are trying very badly to kind of understand what these holdouts have. And they're like, well, they're the hard right. They're the extreme right. They're super Trumpy. I'm like, all right, if, if the Trump is really the the glue binding them together, wouldn't they have already caved? No, it's not necessarily that. So like the Republican Party hasn't figured itself out. It's been going through. If you think about it, it's really since the beginning of the Tea Party in 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And that first wave of people who came to power by challenging Republican incumbents in many cases right. in primary elections. That's how we got 
the Rand Pauls of the that's how we got Justin Amash way back when Mike mm-hmm. Lee and other people uh, ever since then, the Republican Party just is never settled. It has never uh, completely gotten over whatever type of civil war and squabbling that it, it has uh, been committed to doing. And so as long as they haven't settled down and as long as we're a 50 50 country or like a 47 47 and, you know, five country or whatever you want to, to, to parse it, um, you know, they're going to find themselves whenever they're in a slim majority of uh, absolutely be clowning themselves. And to finally answer <laughs> your question, um, like, yeah, of course, this is going to look crazy to normal people. And they're going to say, you know, we can't just vote for Republicans, even if the Democrats are screwing up because this is what they give us. Uh, so that's where we are. You and I. Uh... Matt, our Generation X, you know, we kind of grew up drinking in the woods, that kind of thing, you know, and there's a couple <laughs> a couple things you learn about people is like, one, people who are really wasted and have shark eyes, you know, to stay away from them. And then you can also yep. recognize people who are just organically stupid. And I'm sorry, uh, McCarthy is stupid. I, everything about him tells me that this is a man who is not carrying around a lot of intellectual heft. He's he, he's maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe he's charismatic. But uh, wasn't there a time when big brains would be, uh, you know, at the nucleus of the of the body? I mean, it's it's remarkable that you put it that way. Um, it's not that I live in Washington and uh, I don't report all that much on Capitol Hill, yeah, yeah. but I know a lot of people in politics in, including some of the people who are are in the muck uh, uh, this week uh, and. It's unanimous. The verdict on Kevin McCarthy <laughs> is, and I also know a lot of people from from Bakersfield as well, right? And so yeah. they've known him for a long time. Everyone says the same thing: he is not smart. Uh, Amash told us last night, and maybe it's because he's out of power and, and getting his drink on, although he's not; he doesn't drink. But uh, uh, that you know, look, he's not bright. <laughs> the guy is is just not that bright. He's not that interested. And you hear that over and over again. It's it's. I mean, it's the kind of thing where. It would just sort of be a rude uh, kind of talk radio cheap shot to mention uh, of just of someone like you could say that about Lauren Boebert, whatever sure, you pronounce sure. her name. She does not seem to give off a lot of wattage from afar, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know her. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of a mean thing to say, but everybody says this about You're Kevin right. McCarthy, people who know him and who are voting for him. I sw- I know people yes. who have voted for him each of the 10 times. And right now we'll probably vote for them on 11 times as we're, as we're speaking, who will tell you, oh, my God, that man is dumb. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's not a that's they're not sending their best. Right. <laughs> but and he's my guy. Right. I'm a Republican. So this is he's supposed to be in my team, et cetera. But, you know, you listen to Mosh today on the Fifth Column po- podcast. He also mentioned that the guy has really no honor either. Like, he'll, he's dishonest. He'll turn on you in a second. He's just trying to uh, – he's on the ascent, and there's no real soul to him. So there's – like. There's well, but no- what does it say about the Republican Party that he's the one who can get the most votes in the party right now? Like, nobody else is doing better at the moment. So I, the, what do you do? What do you do? There's no candidate who can get, um, you know, 218 at the moment. It's it's actually side. kind of like a, it's a perfect uh, uh, situation in that um, everyone kind of realizes that that's going to be a bad job. Right. Yep. So like not I mean, you know, they're cycling through <laughs> the opposition. People are cycling through different candidates and like probably none of them really want it. Maybe one or two on the on the outskirts. one. Justin Amash wants it, but no one wants him. Um, but um, uh, so in order to want the job, you have to I know this sounds weird, really want the job. Um, so mm-hmm. the reason why we are left with Kevin McCarthy and someone who just has been his whole 
uh, brain has been focused on achieving the speakership of the house. That is what he has wanted his entire career. He's bent everything towards it. He will sacrifice anything to get there. Everybody knows that he's pulling every lever that he has. He's going to try to come up with some other ones from the reporting that I've seen. Um, and uh, so that is why we have him is because no one else would really want to do that job. No one would get, would do all of the awful things that it takes to get <laughs> as close as he is. And probably no sane person would take it. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, I, I have the suspicion that, um, that there are enough like never Kevin's out there. And that's <laughs> just, I love that phrase um, uh, uh, that like he won't get it. And so th that will create some new dynamic that, um, maybe someone will emerge, but, um, I, you know, I'm like you, uh, Alice, I, like, I, I, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this probably a little bit too much. I'm not a Republican. Uh, I generally don't like to watch Congress and you'll yeah. even see in Lauren Boebert, who I mentioned before in a speech that she, I watched earlier today, mm -hmm. she said, you know what? This is fun. Um, could, because we're actually talking and debating about mm -hmm. things in ways that we normally do not. Um, and there's something to that. Uh, uh, you know, the normal order of Congress should be people actually giving speeches in front of other human beings. And thank God we can see them now, right? Because the C-SPAN cameras are such that uh, they control the angles uh, for the only time all year before the speaker is sworn in. Um, and so we could see them, you know, AOC talking to Paul Gosar over there. Like, what the hell is that one going to be? All <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? Um, that's it's great. An odd one, uh, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's funny because I, I got a call on the radio show today uh, today about, from somebody saying, did you see George Santos back there slumped in his seat? Oh, isn't he a disgrace? And I'm, to me, no, he's, he's a perfect sign. That's what the label should be. <laughs> this is what you wanted. This is the conglomerate of everything that we've asked for. A liar, a, 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 a duplicitous guy who's there's nothing to him. He's absolutely perfect. He's blank. I mean, yeah. he's the, the <laughs> he's pictures of him. To be. Um, I'm trying to write a piece about him this week. Um, but like uh, those pictures from the first day when there is uh, Jim Newell from Slate uh, uh, described it as like a radius of emptiness around him. <laughs> like No one wanted to come close. And he has just this blank face and he's kind of kind of staring off into the distance and then occasionally looking down unconvincingly on his phone um it is like it's it's a, a portrait of existential absence there's nothing there the lights are not on um it's tremendous and, and you're right it is a symbol of our times not a great one at all um but uh i think there's no harm in us enjoying it and i i genuinely hope that we can rebuild uh, the beginnings of a political culture that would find a pretty normal way to eject people like him um, mm -hmm. just to either shun him totally or convince him to resign or uh, just be able to develop some kind of outrage aside from what, how uh, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted out at the end of December is like, well, you know, the Democrats are big fat liars if they're if they're um, trying to say that they're outraged by George Santos, because look at this lie. Right. Look at this lie. Uh, just the what the what about is that we uh, engage in with two party politics, which mm -hmm. is really dreary. Um, you have to be able to say, like, OK, dudes inventing uh, <laughs> Nazi persecuted grandparents, a mom who died on 9-11 and employees who died in the Pulse nightclub shooting. We can go ahead and expel him from polite society and just point and laugh until he runs. Right. And yeah. yes. And he's also LGBTQIA plus until he's not, you know, that you got it. Which you, is but, that a, is that another number that or digit that needs to be added? The the one that negates the <laughs> all the others. Beforehand? But I think like Marjorie Taylor Greene has a point, though, right? Because the Democrats 
do stick together. And maybe I just think this because I'm a conservative and I'm sure Democrats say stuff like this too, but they'd stick together and like they would never have this, I feel, this speaker vote debacle, like because they get it together and they do stuff and and get it done and they hold their coalition together and and republicans just don't and like we saw it in 2016 with trump where like my bias is sort of always toward when i'm predicting what's going to happen that the establishment always wins that's sort of my mantra and in 2016 they didn't they couldn't get rid of trump no matter what they tried to do he just wouldn't go away and you know when then when you watch the democrats in 2020 um their establishment did win they said Super Tuesday, all you people get out and we're done and Biden's it. <laughs> Goodbye. Like, we're, this is what we're having. And everybody just like sat down and got in their seat and did what they were supposed to do. And like, I, I don't know what it is, why the Democrats have that and the Republicans don't anymore, at least seem to have that type of institutional control over their party. Well, I think it runs on a pendulum like a lot of things do in two party politics. So mm. to keep in mind, you know, one percent or so uh of of people left of center voted in 2016 for jill stein um because democrats had run things for eight years the establishment candidate won and there was a lot of kind of restive um uh uh political upset on the progressive left and it wanted to express itself and maybe some voted for gary johnson as well he got you know 3.3 percent of the vote um so that had to come from somewhere uh as well so when uh when a base is feeling ignored, they're going to express that in some way. But then when they have their nightmare of nightmares win as a result of any defections, that is going to discipline people for a cycle or three. <laughs> um, I mean, Democrats, you see this right yeah. now. I mean, people in media, uh, uh, elected Democrats themselves, uh, other people, why are they all constantly trying to say Ron DeSantis is just as bad as Trump, mm. right? He's going to, he's, not worse. he's if not worse, he's he's going to, you know, the white supremacists, uh, he's, he's channeling the Nazi ideology. They're mm -hmm. like using they want to use Trump forever because Trump is good for their business. Mm -hmm. um, so because it scares people in the line and when people are scared, they are going to be very, very disciplined. Uh, I I think there is something um, kind of disgraceful in comparison in the way that Democrats have been unified, that the squad has been tamed mm -hmm. um, like Bernie Sanders has been tamed the most. Uh, the, the, the Democrats who have been most likely to wiggle away and break ranks over the last couple of years have been who? It's been Kirsten Cinema and it's yeah. been Joe yeah. Manchin. Um, it has not been the progressive left. And at some point when the threat of Trump really uh, fades away, um, uh, I think you will start to see those uh, ranks start to break uh, on the Democratic side. Do the unity will will fracture. Do you think that the... the um... The evil specter of Trump is transferable to DeSantis. No. With no, I mean, I think it is professionally. I mean, that's going to be hitting fundraising uh, emails. Right. Uh, it'll it'll keep the Lincoln Project people in 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 the money for a while at least. So they might have to shed some staff. Um, but as a big motivating factor for the electorate, no. Um, and uh, especially after the midterm uh, debacle for anything yep. that Trump touched. Um, and for the election denier type of people who are running for secretary of state, all these things, none of that worked. There's only one person who even acted super Trumpy after losing. That was Carrie Lake in, in Arizona. Um, people are kind of tired of it. Um, and but people include Republicans, by the way, who are who are tired of it, too. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, you will still see that playbook 
being used, but right. I don't think it's going to be a very effective rallying cry if, you know, the other trends that we see in the economy, uh, in uh, in American life, in society, if they don't get a lot better sometime soon, um, then there are going to be people who are willing to vote against Democrats because they're not delivering. Yeah. And I, you know, as, you, as you're speaking, I also think that somebody like DeSantis is actually articulate. And it's harder to misconstrue or, or or just take all of all context out of something that he says. Where with Trump was so badly spoken that you could all you had to do is reprint his headline as spoken, and that's all you needed. You know, there are very well, fine he, people on both sides. Really did have context, but that's also a quote. Yeah, it's a it is a direct quote. I mean, yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of Trump apologists have tried to say uh, that that uh, that's a fabrication of some uh, or fake news. Like that's a quote. It is a quote. Read the whole paragraph. It's it's not great. Um, uh, you can make it better than how it's portrayed, but it's still mm -hmm. not super great. I think um, the interesting question about DeSantis vis-a-vis -vis this that stuff is how much he's going to feel impelled to to make gestures towards Trumpism. And is it going to make him less palatable to normal people? Uh, you could see, you know, when he started going after, you, you know, woke capital, um, going after Disney uh, in his own state, which seems like a, a kind of a bad move in general. Um, his, so it seemed uh, to work out okay, I guess, in the end. I mean, he, he won, but I mean, he didn't campaign on that for, for re-election as governor. Right. Those were moves that he made towards national Republicans. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, his uh, even... I would say the biggest kind of uh, Trump adjacent thing that mattered that he did as governor was the um, uh, education bill about what you can teach and how you can uh, approach those things. Except and even don't then, say I, gay bill, which which is not what it was, but um, <laughs> it uh, will be when this <laughs> next election cycle starts. It, it will be. Uh, but even then, it was sold domestically. Yeah. The biggest thing was basically we're going to make sure that your girls can compete against girls in sports. Mm. And that's always going to be a winning message. Democrats don't want to hear that, but it's true um, because people want girls to compete against yeah, girls. Right. It's just kind of it's pretty mm -hmm. easy to understand. Um, and so that's how he sold it. So will he have to um, go a lot more Trumpy? Will Trump actually run? I have uh, very strong doubts that he will, even though he's already announced that he's mm. going to. Um, the trading card thing seemed like not something somebody does who's running for president. I mean, like, no. I'm happy for him that he made money or whatever, but. You could be happy for him. <laughs> He's made plenty. Uh, no, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like he is doing the bare minimum to be able to continue to raise a ton of money on on political expectations. But that's not the same as actually trying to run against uh, DeSantis and uh, being competitive. If he does run, then DeSantis is in trouble, not necessarily because he's going to win. I don't think I think DeSantis would beat him. But like, what would yeah. DeSantis have to become in the process or what will he have to expose himself to? He's been pretty canny. I mean, let's not forget that Ron DeSantis initially won the governor's race by like eight votes know, against like a, a dude point. who was like passed out in a bathroom somewhere <laughs> in Florida. It was not right. great. Um, so but he, he improved on that performance a bit in round two. I a huge amount. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and, and that's, uh, and I'm uh, curious for my own personal uh, uh, benefit. Um, you know, if you look at the people who really overperformed in the 2022 uh, elections, mm -hmm. governors, especially 
usually those people were who is Ron DeSantis was Jared Polis in Colorado, much more than people expected him to. Um, most of those people were people who tended to be, from my perspective, uh, good on COVID. They were they were against lockdowns. They were pretty forcefully like, hey, we've got a vaccine now. Let's get back to normal, mm. which Jared Polis, to his credit, was one of the rare Democrats who was like that. So is that going to have potency in 2024 in that process? Um, I I think that it, I I want to believe that it will, especially when it comes to schools um, and school choice and things. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't think people I don't care know. anymore. I think people's political memories are like super super short. But yeah. That- How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Being said, like, I, you know, even if Trump isn't there or is sort of faded a bit, I still think there's this streak in the Republican Party that has been there for a long time now. Like you said, it goes back to this Tea Party in 2010 that uh, got a ton of people elected and then didn't necessarily make a lot of what that basically got them elected happen once they were there. And, you know, not not through their own fault, but I I think for a variety of reasons, I think, you know, there were some um, fundraisers and other, you know, sort of packs and stuff that sucked a lot of the money and energy out of that movement, too. But I think that this isn't going away. And I think that what we're seeing in the speaker's race right now shows that it's not going away because they don't really seem to care about Trump or what he says at all. Like it's a it's a deeper thing than Trump. And I think that will still be there after Trump's not there. Yeah. And the the question is, will how is that going to express? Is it going to be in policy stuff? Is it going to be, you know, just saying fentanyl and border 75 times per sentence, which seems to be on offer from a lot of these people? Um, uh, is it going to be is it going to have anything to do with, with the spending and the debt ceiling and such? They, that has not no. been Republican <laughs> politics yeah. for the last basically since the fall of 2014, which is where I, I placed a lot of the blame. And I think the Tea Party generation actually did accomplish quite a lot. They mm-hmm. only had the House for a right. while during the Obama presidency. It's a mirror situation to what we have now. Yet they managed to negotiate. And part of this is because Obama was negotiating with them. That's back when 
you know, uh, politicians from both parties would at least pay lip service to the idea that you have to reform entitlements long term because we won't be able to uh, afford them. And so through that and through, uh, you know, uh, the commissions that were put together, they put in year over year spending freezes and even cuts in military Mm -hmm. spending, uh, which is inconceivable before 2010. Yet it happened. Uh, with the sequestration cuts of 2013 and the debt ceiling showdowns. I think the mistake that's made, and I'm a a party of one in this, so I recognize it's a little bit esoteric, but um, at some point in the fall of 2013, Ted Cruz uh, decided he was going to shut down the government over uh, uh, trying to defund Obamacare, which was a fantasy. It was never going to happen. And it's also unpopular. Shutting down the government is unpopular. Holding the debt ceiling hostage to long-term spending cuts has been historically popular. Um, Once uh, the Republicans and they regained power in the Senate in 2014, um, they said, "Okay, all of that is off the table. We're going to blow through all those sequestration cuts. We're never going to have any brinksmanship over the debt ceiling. We're going to wave away the debt ceiling. And then Donald Trump runs (laughs) laughing at at anyone who's talking about entitlement cuts or or long term reform Mm -hmm. at Paul Ryan, especially. Um, and Republicans, you know, he spends more money in his presidency, increases the size of government by more in three and a half years pre COVID than Obama mm-hmm. didn't eight. Um, so Republicans have zero credibility. Yeah. On this. I want them to, because that's, that's my politics. I think right. the government's way too big uh, and they should stop, but they've squandered their cred- credibility for the last eight years until this moment. And so I'm curious, you're right. I think that that tendency in the Republican party, the hold your breath until you're purple, that's mm-hmm. there. Um, what is it going to be over? Uh, I think it's right. more likely to be over immigration than on spending. And I'm not sure that's going to get us to a great place on that, on even on the issue. Right. Because I think what you're saying almost tells me it seems like maybe the people who got elected in the Tea Party wave misinterpreted what it was that the people voting in that wave wanted. And it's not clear that they even knew what they wanted when they did it. And I remember that time because I was like pretty young and just getting into politics. I voted for Ron Paul in the primary like twice in 2008 and in 2012. And, and, It seemed to me like that's where the energy was, was this sort of like libertarian-ish conservatism. And it just like, then Trump came around and I was like, what is this? Why are all the people that I thought were more Tea Party-ish, it turns out they just like didn't like the establishment at all. And they didn't actually care about any of that other stuff. Tom Massey, uh, who's a congressman from Kentucky, a fun guy. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, tells a great story about this, which is he was part of the Tea Party wave. And he said, when I first got in, I thought um, that they were voting for all of us because we were the biggest kind of fiscal uh, conservatives and mm-hmm. like hardcore libertarians in the room. And that's what they were really into. And then when he went to, I think it was Iowa, to campaign for Rand Paul for president. And we forget now, but Rand Paul was a front runner in 2014. At this stage, yeah. basically eight years ago, he was a front runner in the yeah. GOP primary. Um, and, or at least credible. And he went up there uh, to campaign for Rand Paul back after Trump had gotten into the race and all of the people that he had been otherwise friendly with and who were right with him, you know, up and down about all these kind of uh, trimming the government and going after surveillance state and all this kind of great stuff. Um, uh, they were uh, gone crazy over Trump. And yeah. he said at that, that moment, he realized they weren't necessarily loving us in 2010 because of our philosophy. They're loving us because we are the most crazy son of a in the room and we just got a crazier son of a in the room um and that insight which i think is true 
Um, uh, and also, I think it's probably affected Thomas Massey's uh, political uh, kind of uh, decision yeah. making pro- mm-hmm. matrix since then. Uh, but that is with us. And so uh, part of it is, you know, how do you how do you tailor the the the, the crazy and and also what is going to happen to the people who um, fall for enthusiasms and promises um whatever populist promise that they thought that they could make that that this a- outsider um is going to impose upon the swamp uh when that can't be done um is there going to be self-reflection among the people who put that into place or are they going to become more alienated or are they just going to go and start you know uh, taking up uh, jogging and basket weaving and getting out of politics <laughs> yeah so let me ask you this these this appetite for craziness is that a result of picking the next person in line like McCain and then watching Romney get mugged during the debate by Candy Crowley. Is, is, is that in response to that having somebody who's going to kick the door down and just not accept normal decorum? I think that a big part of it. um, So there's the normal disillusion that I think most Americans feel about the big government failures of the 20th century, which are, are, the Iraq war, you can put 9-11 in there, although, you know, um, it's, it was just a, a terrible thing that happened. Uh, Great Recession in response to the Great Recession and COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, like the government didn't respond well in, I think, all of those cases. Mm-hmm. Most people just sort of have a sense that the fairness was not good and that the policies weren't great. So that's normal. And it bubbles up from everywhere, from most places, let's say. Um, and then the Republicans in particular for a really long time had this uh, thing where they pander to the base with populist, you know, uh, brick throwing messaging. Uh, a great example is when whenever John McCain thought he was being threatened in a primary in Arizona, and he never really was, but occasionally he did. He didn't want to win by anything less than 25 percentage points. So whenever that would happen, he would cut an ad saying we got to build the dang fence. And like when that wasn't happening, what was McCain doing? He was negotiating bipartisan right. immigration reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and huh. you knew and that his heart was in establishment i mean he grew up i wrote a book about the guy you know i have some knowledge of it he grew up as an establishment person um uh you know he's this uh son and grandson of of uh of navy admirals uh who were political uh in nature and they spent time in washington he's always had this sort of eliteness to him so the republicans uh found mastered in in an electoral office way to pretend to be super anti-immigrant and then or whatever it was the the populist politics of the moment and then just as soon as um the primary was safely won they could go and now start like you know, sort of like normal people in the eyes of the, of the media and you watch that dance enough and you get disillusioned with it and you become yeah. very very susceptible and an open audience to someone who actually signals it's not even that his words can get uh, taken out of context um the whole point is that he you're you're bringing the elephant man to a beauty pageant you're saying yes <laughs> he is that ugly um because your whole thing is is disreputable uh, i like that about him so maybe he's going to deliver on the promise yeah and he's not just going to build the dang feds he's going to you know have mexico pay for the wall um and when that doesn't happen and it didn't happen um that is an interesting question of what happens next to the people who fell for his version of populism right. um mm-hmm. Uh, and recognizing that Donald Trump, and this is something that a lot of his, his supporters uh, fail to remember, is that after Mitt Romney lost in 2012, Donald Trump uh, blamed it on his harsh anti-immigration stance because hmm. Mitt, Mitt Romney <laughs> won 
Uh, yeah, he said he said it was uh, too strong and like it, it alienated uh, Latino voters. Um, and then uh, Trump the, sat thought about it for a while and said, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, this can work. Um, and, and it ended up working out for him. So, um, yeah, I don't know where that's going to go. And I don't know if that's going to be the issue. Um, but it sounds like uh, just judging from the speeches that in addition to right. really interesting and serious process questions, I, mean, I invite everyone who thinks that all the Republicans are acting like clowns this weekend, the, mm -hmm. the rebels to go watch Matt Rosendale. I think his name is uh, from uh, uh, Montana. Um, watch his speech from today. It is a very uh, accurate, stunning indictment of the way regular business has done badly in the House of Representatives and why that should change. And it's pretty hard right. listening to him thinking, I want to root against him. I want to root for him and, and what he's mm -hmm. working for. So is it going to be what he's talking about or is it going to be uh, all fentanyl border all the time? <laughs> so if you had to like totally guess if somebody made you put money on it, what would you say is going to ha who's going to be the Speaker of the House? Yeah, this is going to expose the limitations of my uh, my thinking, uh, but probably like Steve Scalise. I, 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 think, uh, I think I think that I would be great. I, I love oh, Steve Scalise. Yeah, I guess so. Compared to the, <laughs> I mean, it's slim pickings. But if you end up with Steve Scalise, then I commend all the twenty people who've refused to vote for Kevin McCarthy all this time because that's like a win to me. But well, he's not dumb uh, like Kevin McCarthy. He's just yeah. actively dumb. Um, He's not as venal, I don't think. Um, I don't know him that well, but uh, but yeah, he just doesn't he doesn't exude the the kind of uh, like uh, sliminess that uh, McCarthy does. And if indeed you know the Matt Gateses of the world say they're never going to vote um, uh, for uh, McCarthy, then then we could be doing this for a while, and at some point uh, they're they're going to need to go uh, towards somebody else. Ugh, this thing with like just thinking about Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the. Uh, Swalwell on the other side, and the the uh, Anna Presley. You had a hilarious line about, by the way, on the Fifth Column podcast today, which the other guys stepped on a little bit. But it's download the Fifth Column podcast, everybody listen to it. You'll you'll hear it. Um, it, it just in, in the both sidesism. You know, once again, I mean, we've seen this in everybody on Twitter in the tribalism. It's just so unoriginal. And I'm like, you know, I talk about I do I talk politics for four hours a day. And I look at this this squad, and I look at all oh, our idiots on my side, and this and that, and and I'm like, why? Why am I not like eating mushrooms at Burning Man? Why? why where's the joy in this anymore? You should. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely should. Uh, but, but, no, but, I mean, one one way of thinking about it is for those who are uh, avid, avid, daily, hours long consumers of politics, or who work in it, uh, like uh, like some of us do. Uh, in our own way, um, ask yourself, how much time did you uh, spend consuming or seeing uh, uh, discussion of media, of whatever commentary having to do with the end of year one point seven trillion dollar, you know, annual December 21st chromnibus <laughs> that they always do that no one read and that was negotiated by three people and uh, and zoomed through how much discussion was there of the stuff that went in there? Um, how much did you, and this is a global you, um, yourself get exercised about it and mm -hmm. say, oh, this is a weird thing to put like voting legislation in and a bunch of other things like that. Um, how much did you do that compared to um, arguing over, you know, uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter or arguing over um, uh, one election in Georgia or any other, uh, you know, uh, dog chasing squirrel um, political moment? And if it is as lopsided as I suspect, 
then it's time to think about like making everything about federal politics when you're actually not talking about federal policy. Um, $1.7 trillion is a lot of money. We spent as a country $1.8 trillion in 2000, the whole year. Um, granted, there's inflation and population growth and whatever, but still. Um, so a single bill, no one read it, negotiated quietly, lame duck session. Um, and if we're not talking about that, which is actual policy, and instead getting involved in really, really kind of dumb sideshow arguments about, uh, you know, alleged groomers and drag show parties or whatever it is that you're getting excited about, then maybe it's time to step away from politics because it's not actually affecting policy. It's not a fit like that should have been the object of some of politics rather than just venting generally towards people that you don't like <laughs> to defend uh, my, my <laughs> never ending uh, beating of uh, drag queens reading to kids. That is local to local politics. So there is which it's is in the purview. Great. Get mad at local politics. I'm so into that. Yeah. Uh, go to your school board meeting. Go to the, you can the actually solve meeting. a lot of problems that way, too, nationally, because for example, when we lived in the last town we lived in, Catherine Clark was on the, the school committee there and then was subsequently state rep, uh, state senator. I think she jumped yes. to then and she'll then be your and then in two years. so she's uh, and you know, I have friends that have always predicted she'll be the first woman president. But... So, before we let you know, oh. Matt, um, do you um, so you, are you do, you do you have a great feeling of satisfaction or gloating? Uh, at the time like this to say, hey, you guys wanted these two teams. I'm the libertarian here. This is not my problem. I know I no, would, but I'm craving. I wish. I wish. Uh, no, I, I, I do feel, um, um, you know, I spend a, 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 my time when I consume and talk about this stuff, like trying to find things to laugh at because it's yeah. just a, it's a coping mechanism. Um, <laughs> but all, but also it's, uh, you know, it's life is too short to get too upset about things and to. And also laughing at people and pointing out their ridiculousness really punctures a lot of the the puffery of it all. I think it's a very healthy exercise in American uh, political history to point and laugh. Mark Twain, H.L. Mencken, they they had some yeah. good ideas there. Check them out. Um, but um, I uh, have been feeling a, a sense of kind of long term uh, and very uh, unusual for me um, glumness. Um, basically over the last seven, eight years during the resurgence of populism on the left and on the right, and not just in the United States and uh, globally, it might be on the wane a little bit now. There's some preliminary indications that it's on the wane, but populist politics are never, uh, or at least almost never, things that are going to be friendly to, to stuff that I hold dear. Um, and so, and it makes things more stupid. It makes things more tribal. It makes people more upset. Uh, it displaces um, their normal uh, upsetness at things that they could actually control um, kind of channels it to unproductive means, which is to yell at your TV about somebody in mm -hmm. Washington who's talking about something that has no effect on your lives. So uh, uh, I don't take that satisfaction. I want this long period to be on the wane and have it to be replaced by something that's a little bit more noble and preferably more mm -hmm. sane and, and towards uh, policies that I agree with. But uh, there's a tawdriness associated with it that I think has cheapened uh, American lives and made it kind of dumber. And, uh, and I don't I take no joy in that. It makes me sad. Well, it is interesting, though, like there is some libertarianism is being is being adopted, mainstreamed, uh, kind of carte blanche. For instance, the drug legalization stuff, the, you know, um, 
Connecticut, for instance. You mean like pa- a la carte? Like uh, did I, what did I say? Carte blanche? A la carte, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> French. That's all I got. Um, um, it, it, and, uh, it's, you know, it's legal in Connecticut now. Five years ago, that was unthinkable, but then Massachusetts did it, and Vermont did it, or whatever. And, and you know, in some of the criminal justice reform is is right there in that area as well. So I would say civil asset forfeiture has been so getting more headlines. Uh, I wish we got more on civil asset forfeiture um, than we have so far. Uh, you know, even that you're right, uh, and and some of those uh, gains have been great, but also some of them have been handled very badly. Like some of the, even legalization regimes. And I'm always going to be basically in favor of of how just if if a choice between legalizing it not legalize it legalize it I'm, that's where we need to go we need to stop uh, locking people up for uh consensual things but also you know i live in new york city where you walk around it's just clouds of marijuana smoke yeah. and vape shops uh across the street from every school and this sort of unregulated gray markets not the regulation is great but like um it shouldn't be as easy as it is in my neighborhood for a 14 year old to go and buy edibles it's super easy. I, I'm a parent of a 14 year old. Uh, and so our peer group and kids who've gone through hell with COVID and other things besides um, it is like gone from being a pretty restrictionist state in terms of of uh, of pot and other things and just like stuff that kids can do um, to now you just walk in and like I'll buy the thing that says, you know, gummies with with a lot of THC, please, uh, as an obvious middle schooler. Um, so it hasn't been all that great. And you uh. know, some of the some of the drug reforms in in places like uh, in San Francisco have been really botched. Um, you know, there's like basically open injection sites haven't turned out to be really awesome for the cause yeah. of anything. If, if you think that it's a great idea for junkies to be lying around on sidewalk pooping on themselves, I don't. Um, I think that you, you got to find a way to to do those freedom enhancing things and uh and you know civil asset forfeiture should be a gimme on that but there's a lot of uh entrenched police uh forces who like hey this is how we fund our business so uh so uh, we, we can't do it so th- i mean that's the tip of the iceberg if you want to find out more obviously about the whole world of the way the role of government should be you can go to reason magazine follow them at reason listen to the reason uh round table with matt welch and definitely, definitely listen to the Fifth Column uh, podcast. We are going to subscribe to the Substack, the Substack today. Did we yet? Woo! I didn't yet. We're I going to today. Yeah. These are like four, like, they're kind of a-holes, but they're the only, mm-hmm. they're the best kind of a-holes, the funniest guys, and the it's a brilliant, it's like a bourbon clatch instead of a coffee clatch. They're, they're just awesome. You guys just kick ass. It is such a, I'm so glad it's out there. Talk about a way to uh, cope with the insanity of it all. Matt Welch, thank you so much for everything. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was really fun. And thanks for those kind words. Awesome. Take care. Uh, Thank you, Alice. Thank you. Good guy, huh? Does that end? Is that okay? It was great. It was great. He was fantastic. We went way long, actually. No, we didn't. I don't think so. No? No, because we started started, uh, three minutes in. So I think we went, well, maybe we did. I have 43. We. Oh, yeah, but of him? Oh, yeah, of recording. Fine. No, it's great. I loved it. Oh, yeah, I no, loved I loved it. it too. I just I felt mean, bad taking his time. But. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Um, so, so, you know, I wonder if this is going to be an opportunity for the um, libertarians. I wonder. You know, I hope they're there at Capitol Hill uh, hanging out. Hanging well, out Justin Amash is. So. Oh, I know. He was so good. Wouldn't that be great if he was speaker? Yeah, but <laughs> I mean... I like him too. It sounded good to me. I would take it, but you know, 
All right, should we do the chat chat? Sure, let's go do the chat chat. And we'll have more um, to talk about on Sunday. Oh, that's right, Sunday when we are set to have Kirk Minahan join us. Make sure, by the way. We'll see. Somebody on Twitter was saying they thought we like stepped on his memorial show for. Um... No, we didn't. Obviously, no. we just said just a few words. It was well, appropriate. Well, yeah, we found out fresh. about it right before the show. Yeah. So, about okay. John Stewart. Here we go. So, uh, Tom, uh, yes. it, it turns out you obviously um, have never seen Letter Kenny, but I appreciate you playing along. <laughs> um, uh, love the episodes uh, Super Soft Birthday and uh, the, a- uh, the, the Ag Election. The Ag Election. Um, I'll check it out. Yeah. Thanks. I'll check it out. Uh, uh, Justin, thank you. Hey, Tom and Alice. Just hey. want to hey. say uh, it's nice that Sally is trying to figure out how to pit you guys against one another with uh, apps and Instagram and all that neat oh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> As a father of a 17 going on 18-year-old right now, at the age of 13, it was almost like somebody turned a switch on my daughter. Yes. Uh, this is more geared towards Alice than Tom. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Um, <laughs> just remember, they still love you. It's just a rite of passage. As long as she's nice to daddy, that is all that matters. Yeah. Is, by the way, Alice Daddy's is girl. a little strict to her anyway. Vicious. Remember that uh, hair combing you used to do? That was passive-aggressive. <laughs> I just brushed my kids Passive-aggressive. It's not passive. I'm so glad that Alice Tim. revealed the true story behind Tom's issue with his "quote unquote" face cream. <laughs> but I'm also looking forward to the next time Tom is complaining because his teeth hurt, and we find out that Alice was actually spackling the roof <laughs> that leaks, and because she put the can down for two seconds, Tom decided to brush his teeth. I'm thinking that we might have a reality show here. I want to see some cameras in that house. And no, Tom, I don't mean OnlyFans. Oh my goodness, that is that is. By the way, it's incredible, Alice. My my skin is still raw. This is all. This is dead. It's have like you acid. tried some coconut I'm like, oil? I'm like Poroshenko or whatever that guy who, got, who, who Putin poisoned. Have you tried some coconut oil? No, not yet. I'll I just help tried, you. I just tried. I don't trust you anymore. I'm sorry about that. All right, want some noise? Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, that was really fun seeing Matt Welch. Obviously, follow him on Twitter and Reason and all that. Um, you can find us in our Patreon live streams and extra content at patreon.com slash burn barrel. You can also always find the show for free at burnbarrelpodcast.com with all the different places to listen on YouTube, on Rumble. Uh, you can record chat, chat messages there, all that good stuff. Say la vie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.